Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Terry Wolf, who has authored a few books and does some YouTubing and work on social media. Interestingly, he has only 400 followers on Twitter, but over 100,000 <laughs> on TikTok. Uh, and so we'll be talking about a recent video he did on the coming green climate lockdowns that went absolutely viral. Uh, I don't doubt it has been viewed well over a million times collectively uh, on TikTok. I've seen it on Twitter and, and Telegram and, and all these other uh, platforms. So uh, before we get into the climate lockdowns, Terry, can you briefly just tell us about uh, yourself and the work uh, you've been doing online? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on your uh, excellent program. Um, I, I'm i a Canadian. Um, I, I started to write about politics, uh, culture, everything through my website I, I've had since 2008. Um, it started with a video game analysis, which I know is is not the field of, you know, it's not a hard science, uh, but because of the, the, the way that culturally, cancel culture, the cultural Marxism sort of came in and over, tried to overtake the video game industry, uh, it became a politicized part of, of the culture, and especially with millennials, very much a gamer uh, culture. And then from there, it became more and more about trying to teach people about how this this is all fitting into the bigger picture. And eventually, yeah, uh, YouTube, uh, just as of last year, I created a TikTok account. It's actually been a very short time that I've gotten this 100,000 plus followers on there. Uh, and yeah, some of the most viral popular stuff has been trying to alert people to climate lockdowns. Are you ready for climate lockdowns? What, you think I'm making that up? Avoiding the climate lockdown by the WBCSD. That rolls off the tongue. That stands for the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. 3M, Apple, Bloomberg, BMW, Chevron, BP, Dow, DuPont, Google, IBM, Ikea, Kellogg's, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, it just keeps going. This was published way back in October 2020, so it's not even a new thing. They say, in the near future, the world may need to resort to lockdowns again, this time to tackle a climate emergency. Wait, how could the climate create an emergency that we need a lockdown to solve? Who cares? They say under a climate lockdown, governments would limit private vehicle use, ban the consumption of red meat, and impose extreme energy-saving measures. Fossil fuel companies would have to stop drilling. To avoid such a scenario, we have to overhaul economics and do capitalism differently. Um, and the green movement in general, not just the climate lockdown. And uh, yeah, that that's the point. The books, the first two books were about pop culture and the overlap of video gaming with uh, the cultural sort of shift that's happened now, the Overton window shrinking and a lot of the censorship, um, the role of video games, and especially the video games that I was following. And then this last one was about uh, prophecy, about uh, you know, sort of the Christian prophetic angle of what's happening right now. And I discussed that on my, on my TikTok as well. And it's, it. I'm I'm surprised, but it's becoming quite popular. Yeah, yeah. And so let's let's get into that series uh, that you've done on the green climate uh, lockdowns. It's it's even appeared on on prominent and and popular alternative uh, media, independent media channels who have 
showed it uh, as well. And so, you know, for people that have been paying attention, this has always been the plan uh, of the elites regarding this green agenda. I taught a course environment and international relations at university. And you go back decades, you know, into the 1980s, 70s, 1960s, and, and, and they're they're talking about it, right? This, mm-hmm. this has been in the cards for a long time. And we've finally gotten to the point where they're implementing it now, or they're trying to implement it. Uh, they... Um, <clears throat> And and uh, it seems that COVID lockdowns have served as the training wheels for what is to come. And, you know, in the past few years, we've been seeing an increasing number of op-ed publications and think tank reports openly suggesting the need for climate lockdowns. And yeah. I, I would want to reference the past guest that I had on. He's really great. CJ Hopkins, who kind of this is obvious, but no one has mentioned this. He said that lockdown is a term specifically meant only for prisoners in a prison. And so it seems our govern, governments are openly flaunting in our faces that we have all effectively become their prisoners. And, you know, it's kind of like you'd mentioned deplatforming. It seems deplatforming serves the function of sending a prisoner into solitary confinement. So, you know, take us away. Where, where would you start when talking climate lockdowns? I think that's that's a very interesting point that the idea of the lockdown, I would almost say, is it's almost more of a ransom situation where I don't think the lockdown is the goal. It's the threat and that if we did what they wanted uh we could get out of it it's the it's the promise of freedom it's not that we're just being punished you know with lockdowns because they they really want to control everything that much it's that and and the video that went viral kind of explained the logic behind that um i found an article on the world business council of sustainable development website, which is not a very well-known organization, it seems, but it was talking about how uh, the climate lockdown is going to serve as a as, as basically a cudgel, a threat to make sure that capitalism is basically the great reset that's the easiest way to talk about it the the great reset needs to happen or else you get climate lockdowns and what it says like right here in the article it says under a climate lockdown governments would limit private vehicle use so you don't get to drive your own car ban consumption of red meat which surprises a lot of people uh impose extreme energy saving measures which could mean anything it could mean just cutting your electricity entirely and fossil fuel companies would have to stop drilling. That's how extreme they're talking about a climate lockdown. If that happens, you can expect to see those things. And that's why it went viral. That's why it's shocking a lot of people is the idea that we could go from the COVID lockdowns, which people already consider to be you know, world-changing. We're going to remember this the rest of our lives. We lived through this terrible thing to not being able to eat red meat by government dictatorship, like not just health experts advise you to do so, it's going to be banned. Private vehicle use is going to be banned. Uh, Fossil fuel companies, oil industry just drying up overnight, not being allowed to drill. It's such an insane proposition. Then the last part of this paragraph on this article says, to avoid such a scenario, we must overhaul our economic structures and do capitalism differently. And capitalism is underlined there to a a hyperlink to a different article that this person wrote. 
for The Guardian uh, saying that COVID-19 crisis is a chance to do capitalism differently. And the woman that wrote that is Mariana Mazzucato, uh, who, again, most people wouldn't have heard of, but she is the chair of the World Health Organization's Council on the Economics of Health for All. So that's a big mouthful, but she's the actual chair of a World Health Organization Council. So she's not just a random intellectual or academic. She's uh, the leader of several different things, different councils in Sweden, South Africa, Argentina, Norway. Uh, she's part of all these advisory councils. And so, yeah, she she has a lot of weight. And that's why she's being hosted on this World Business Council of Sustainable Development. And people, one of the things I pointed out was the membership of this council. It's called the World Business Council. It has pretty much every major corporation you can think of, 3M, uh, all the major, even though they're talking about how they would shut down the oil industry, uh, BP and all the major oil companies are part of this, DuPont, Dow. Uh, so yeah, that that's what surprised me is that it seemed like this was an anti-oil company that wants to reinvent capitalism, but all of the biggest corporations are part of it and they endorse this view somehow. So uh, how do you wrap your head around that? Like what kind of what kind of collaboration or partnership could this possibly be where they themselves are saying we need to reinvent capitalism or else we're going to have these climate lockdowns, this dark ages neo-feudalist nightmare. Uh, that to me was what sort of rang the bell and I said I had to try to tell people about this particular agenda because it seems to eclipse everything that's happening right now if it does come to pass and and as as you mentioned like we we can look at each of those points like the the, the no red meat the tra- uh, transportation and for people that aren't paying attention this is happening in real time like i'm seeing it feeling it and experiencing it uh, myself and uh, you know i can give some uh, examples for example you know as you said the green agenda literally wants us to live like medieval serfs, you know, the, mm-hmm. they, they want to ban uh, mobility, um, the use of private vehicles, limit our energy resource use, take away red meat. And so, you know, using food as an example, the monopolists like Bill Gates are buying up all of the agricultural infrastructure, you know, like farms and right. trains. This has been in the news in the last few months. He's now the largest like agricultural landowner, uh, Bill Gates in the U.S. He just bought the, the biggest stake in this Canadian railway, which... I'm pretty sure there, sure there there are plans. This is again reported. People can check it out to connect the, the Canada, US, and Mexico through through the rail, and they own all of the GMO food, and they're using the pretense of you know viruses everywhere to cull many different kinds of animals. It's all over the news now, yeah. all, all over the planet. You know, um, you're you're hearing all these different types of uh, avian flus, bird flus, and they're calling millions and millions of, of chickens and other sorts of animals, Minks, that we, things like that, things that I wouldn't even have guessed were being farmed. Yeah, it's bizarre to see the the level of which they're cracking down. But it, obviously, see, this is where it gets into the narrative side. The narrative that everybody is being subjected to is pandemic. And that's a smokescreen for all of the much deeper uh, underlying structural uh, sabotage, really, is, what, is what's going on, is that all of the, the underpinnings of what we consider to be normal are being sabotaged while we're being aggressively 
disrupted by a pandemic lockdown and and all of that rhetoric, the vaccine thing, all of that kind of stuff. So while people are being just overwhelmed by fear mongering on an issue that really it is serious and and especially you know what's what's happening with vaccines and, and the fight over that is serious, but it's also obscuring a lot of even more more dangerous rhetoric about what happens next as the pandemic lockdowns shift into a climate lockdown. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I believe it was Project Veritas was talking to a CNN reporter who, and, and this might've been back in like January already um, saying that people are getting tired of the pandemic. Uh, it's not getting that good of ratings. And so they predicted already that they were going to shift to climate after the pandemic and that that was they could pivot to that and they could keep that going for as long as they wanted and so right now the what uh, from what i'm seeing from what i'm seeing reported is essentially engineered famines being created as we speak and food shortages that are going to skyrocket the price of things uh put a lot of farmers out of business and yeah, then every time a farmer goes out of business, their land gets sold. Somebody like Bill Gates can come in, take it over. It's that squeezing them out of the market, taking over agriculture and ranching and meat production and all of that, all in the name of this green movement that is just sort of this all-consuming force right now, but not in the narrative, not in people's minds. It's a very harmless environmental thing still. And especially in young people, they don't realize how sinister and ambitious the green movement actually is yeah j- j- just on the example of a food just to finish that i wanted to give another well, one more example how it's happening in, in, in real time uh you know for the past year i've been ordering here in mexico on occasion you know when i'm busy working at home uh, a kilo of grilled steaks for home uh mm. delivery and the price has been about 25 dollars and last week when i ordered them so after a year of the prices being stable, it jumped $10 to $35. And I've heard people in the US telling me how, you know, the typical package of meat that they buy has jumped, doubled in price, maybe even tripled. uh, I've seen it in in Canada as well. So we we see that happening with the the food. And then uh, I think it's also important that the the transport and, you know, the private vehicles. And and I I think I've been uncannily predicting this to the people who, who personally know me, you know, and Specifically, where I'm living in Mexico, the governor of the state where I'm living is de facto a Rockefeller-funded globalist. And you can find this in in documents, uh, government documents um, that discuss this. And uh, because he's, we're a resilient city. Resilient cities uh, explicitly get funded by Rockefeller Foundation money to carry out the plans of the, the Rockefeller uh, and and these globalist uh, institutions, so it's it's docu- it's actually documented. And so a few weeks ago, the governor was posting news and social media that literally was word for word what I was saying he was going to do uh, last year. He's been wow. heavily he's heavily been promoting electric public transport buses, and mm. they're ch- they're churning out an ungodly amount of these buses. It's incredible. They've been showing the photos. It's an ungodly amount of these 
public transport buses. And yeah. in, in Mexico, the bus stops usually, there's no bus stop. There's no marker. You just need to know where the bus stop is. And over really? the pa- yeah, and over the past year, it was shocking to see that now each of these bus stops conveniently have seats and, and a little, you know, r- roof. All of the bus stops where there was previously nothing there, they've all got these little stations now. He's been stripping away car lanes and replacing them with bike lanes. And he's created mm. a, a digital pass that works for all of the public transport, you know, subway, tram, bus. And, and he's basically saying in the last media post, I was like saying this last year and he said it now in the recent post. He's like basically saying, look, basically, you have no excuse now not to use public transport and stop using your private vehicle. You know, we've got these easy digital passes that you can use now. We've got right. an abundance of, of, of these buses. And so the EU just announced they're getting rid of gasoline cars in a decade. And I don't know if people have played the video game Half-Life 2. It's it's like life will look like the dystopian City 17, you know. Right. So yeah. w- what's your view on the elimination of private vehicles? Well, I remember uh, driverless cars being... I, I've seen different articles over the years that I was trying to tell people about the um, a lot of reports that millennials and zoomers especially didn't want to own cars and that they thought that it was an outdated thing and that they would rather have just good public transportation. I saw that probably about 10 years ago and I didn't think that made any sense. I thought that sounded like pure propaganda. Uh, When I talked, I mean, in Canada, there's a certain car culture especially where I live, that people are proud of their vehicles. And, uh, but even so, I just saw young people love the idea of the, they still love that idea of independence, being able to drive wherever you want, have your road trip, take your friends, whatever. And in major cities, I think it might be true that, you know, the congestion and the, the traffic and everything is bad enough that people would actually like to have a good public transportation system. But people also, because of everything else that's happening are clued into this war on independence in any way. And so, yeah, getting rid of the car is the symbol of taking away your ability to escape the ability to relocate anything like that. So, and of course, once you have public transportation, people clustered into the same space, then health and viruses and pandemic and everything ties in naturally with that. You want to have everybody who's on the bus be confirmed to be, uh, you know, you could, the social credit score just ties in directly with that. You, you can see what's happening in China. The, the ability to ban people if their cred- social credit score isn't good enough from public transport. And so between that, the driverless car thing being sort of the next big thing I saw them trying to push. And again, people were resisting it. People don't like the idea of being in a car where you have no control and you know it's just the i think all of these plots all these plans were supposed to be done subtly over a long period of time and something has happened within the last 5 to to 6 years that has sped up the entire timeline to the point where it's now sloppy it's embarrassing it's very uh blatant and and conspicuous how they're pushing certain things and so that's where I find interesting about something like this green lockdown thing is sort of the ultimate sloppy in your face takeover of your rights, you're taking away your rights and everything. And just saying, 
do this, do reinvent capitalism or else we're just going to start doing this to you. And again, the, the car is just this symbol of, especially in North America, this independence, the ability to just go out on the highway and go where you want and this open frontier sort of feeling that uh, you'll never be lo- trapped. You'll never be stuck if you have your own car and your family, you know, your, your van, whatever you're going to use to, uh, you see all the dystopian movies of huge emergencies, you know, people always pile in their vehicles, they go to the highways. And then, you know, uh, I watched the movie Greenland not long ago. I don't know if you saw that one, but um, the whole thing is about meteors coming down and the idea of catastrophic apocalyptic meteor strikes coming down. And there too, the whole plot of the movie essentially ends up revolving around how to get from, from um, the, a city to someplace that's safe when everyone's congesting the highway. And so that just shows you how much the elite think about that in terms of the logistics of what if people suddenly did decide now is the time to escape and they don't want people to have private vehicles. So I think there's so many aspects of it and none of it has to do with carbon. None of it has to do with environmentalism at all. Yeah, I think you mentioned sci-fi films, dystopian films. If you notice, also in all of those films, no one really has cars. It's like uh, everyone's mm. just using public transport. I, I think in the futuristic seen, one, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the first time I used Uber, I, I never even wanted to use Uber, but I had to. I was in Russia like four years ago or something, and the Russian taxi drivers were just ripping you off, man, like insanely. Mm twice three times the amount whatever they can get and i'm like i, I have to install uh, uber and <laughs> use uber in russia because other, otherwise they're, they're just ripping me off like crazy and, wow. and as, as well i remember taking remember many years ago when I, I was a huge tea party fan the canadian uh rock band uh oh tea really party. and I I, <laughs> I I i i took a few trips I, I drove around ontario to see some of their shows and i spent time in quebec and montreal so well you couldn't do that without your private vehicle now you know no no, no more of that and um, or, or I guess they would create these shared vehicles or autonomous Uber rides that you could take around uh, yeah. the province. Um, but then talking about, uh, I guess what what you just mentioned as well, how they're they're saying they're going to force it on us, but so many people are believing this. Like I, I can't believe that so many people are accepting, you know, these these ruses of it's for the climate, it's for the environment. I, I work with I I've been working with a lot of young people, high school, university. Mm-hmm. They've all been indoctrinated, and it's like you you can't get them to think critically at all. Facts don't matter anymore. You, you show them literally facts to their face, and they're like, no, they stick to the official narrative. There's there's nothing you can say, and I, I don't understand how people are so easily just accepting all of this. That that's why I think I think that's the only reason really why they're going so hard with it is because it is the one, the one thing that young people genuinely buy into. Um, It seems so common sense. It seems very philanthropic and, and altruistic that you just want to help the environment. I grew up with, you know, recycling programs being relatively new and I totally bought it. I thought it made sense to me logically that you should recycle what you can help the environment when you can. I hate pollution. I hate this, these uh, destruction of the natural environment. And to see how they've taken all these different angles to try to get to this point, and a lot of them are backfiring. 
But this one isn't. The green movement, the green agenda is not backfiring. The more they push it, the more people believe it. And so it only makes sense that they divert more and more of their plans towards that angle. And that's why I feel like the next phase that we should really be looking for is the green movement to take over almost every single aspect of the world. I think it will essentially be like a new religion. It'll be tied in with the new age, earth healing, mother earth sort of worship sort of thing. And there's no, there's no limit to how far you can go with that once you start going down that road. Uh, Zero Hedge had an article. Um, I don't, I'm not going to remember when it was, but it was only in the last couple of months about the Federal Reserve and major banking, international banking institutions going green. And even the article was just saying, what does that even mean? We don't know what they're even signaling, aside from saying we are with the green agenda, we are going to support the, the green movement. And that, to me, it's just, it's a code word. It's a, it's a way to organize and reshuffle all the, the resources that they have under a new banner where they're going to get away with it because people are watching, uh, for example, the terrorist post 9-11 security thing that because of Edward Snowden and Julian Assange and these guys backfired. And now people are more concerned about privacy and government overreach than ever. So now every time it backfires, they have to shift and pivot to something else. And so the, this narrative is working for them. And that's why I think it's, they're going to go as far as they can with it. And why I would also like to awaken people to that and get them to see the dangers and the articles right in front of their face, how they're using it. And, and, I, and one of the, sorry, just the, the, the one connective dot that really ties into population reduction and the Bill Gates thing, everything that people are generally worried about now is in this same article, I'm looking at it right here, written by that uh, Mariana Mazzucato, uh, it talks about the disease of the Anthropocene. And the idea of the, the Anthropocene is the world as controlled by humans. That's the, that's the definition of the Anthropocene. And so they, by just saying, we need to essentially cull the population and reduce the world population in order to save the planet. It's this giant sacrifice we make, uh, like a ritual sacrifice in a religion with the New Age movement. I think that is, you can see in this one, it's three paragraphs apart. You have the climate lockdown, all those things we listed, you have the idea of, this says right here, many think the climate crisis as distinct from the health and economic crises caused by the pandemic. But the three crises are interconnected by the Anthropocene. So climate, health, and the economy are all going to be solved at once if we can solve the problem, the disease of the Anthropocene. So that's where it immediately takes on a genocidal eugenics uh, angle just built right into their rhetoric, but it's still just nicely covered by the green agenda rhetoric. Yeah, I, I've mentioned previously that it's, it sounds crazy to people, but if you study what they're doing with, with uh, the pandemic and, and all of the policies, medical things they want to do, and, and as well as with the climate change, it's basically that old eugenics uh, in disguise. You go back to the early 1900s, uh, 
Edwin Black, the Jewish historian that I've interviewed, you know, he, he's mentioned how the first gas chambers were not in Nazi Germany, they were in the US. Uh, Hitler got that advice and uh, what do you call it? Consulting basically from the American eugenicists who were already sterilizing people, creating yeah. gas chambers in America first. The Rockefellers, all these people now that are behind, as you mentioned, the big oil that are behind the climate change movement and pandemic movement are the old eugenicists. And I feel they've just dressed up the the, the pig with lipstick, right? As, as mm. uh, th th That's the real thing that's going on, I think. Yeah, there's a branding. There's a branding element to it. Uh, Al Gore coming out with the inconvenient truth and the that sort of ingenious pivot that they did there, where at the time people laughed at it like crazy. The idea of the the Al Gore's, you know, coming out and trying to be relevant again with the green climate scare and stuff. But you can see how it has worked. You can see how young people, especially the youngest people, who didn't see what things were like before this all they have they've grown up their entire life within this rhetoric of the world is going to end in 10 years it's going to end in 20 years that type of apocalyptic prophecy is really what it is it's a it's a secular prophecy about the end of the world is what is what grounds them every time they see a new headline they see a new thing with when this famine hits that that they're engineering they're going to believe 100% that it is a natural result of human activity. It's the Anthropocene's fault. It's mankind's fault. And uh, going back to where this started, I mean, I learned about really the roots of it from H.G. Wells and Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell wrote uh, The Scientific Outlook, and he openly talks in there about eugenics and how we should have a certain part of the population be bred for hard labor and a certain one should be bred for the intellectual elite to rule. And H.G. Uh, Wells talked about, uh, he has a book literally called The Open Conspiracy, Blueprints for a World Revolution. And one of the main points in there. Got that here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, there you Open go. Conspiracy. I'm so glad. Not enough people actually are, are educated but that and i'm assuming you've talked about it before but in this point particularly um he talks about controlling the human population set at a certain limit by the world directorate that is uh ruling everything and so and this again is for the greater good of he doesn't say it's for saving the world and environmentalism he just says this is what we need to do in order to stabilize all world disruption it's kind of world peace is what he talks about but this is back in 1928 that he wrote that that's how far back it goes so yes they will find any rhetoric they can that people will buy into the elites because you not only have to fool and get the average person to accept it you have to get college students and the the, the intellectuals to buy into it so that they can fuel the next generation of control mechanisms, policies, and everything. And the rhetoric around it, it, back here, it was this is before World War II, talking about how they're going to try to prevent uh, communism from taking over everything and fascism from taking over everything. And instead, we're just going to have this nice, stable world conspiracy, this open source conspiracy. But by now, the Cold War psychology is worn off the you know they need something else to unite everything 
And that's where the climate uh, engineered crisis can perfectly slot into that spot. Instead of having the West and the East Cold War, we just have this united crisis that if they can exacerbate it, if they can uh, create enough uh, emergency situations, not just like they've been doing uh, a hurricane comes in and they say this hurricane is because of man-made engineered uh, you know, uh, pollution. It's because of we haven't taken good enough care of the environment. Well, it's the exact same forecasted hurricane that comes by every year. But just like the pandemic, even something that's totally normal can just be rebranded as this sudden crisis that's unprecedented. And it's all just about the rhetoric of how they spin it. Same thing is going to happen now. If there is a, a, shrout, a, a, a drought, a shortage, prices increasing on food, it just fits into that narrative perfectly. And young people, which is the main target, will uh, buy into it more and more, tell their friends about it, get by the time they get to college, by the time they get into any position of power themselves, they will be so convinced of it that, like you said, you can't change their mind even at a high school level, never mind once they go into the actual institutions where they start to take on the responsibility of preventing you know, the, the end of the world is what they're going to think. And it's, it's, it sickens me that there's so much, so much, it's not that they're gullible, it's just that the, the audacity of what they're doing, the relentless pushing of that narrative uh, can 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 traumatize them really to the point where they they can't see it any other way. I think it's a trauma-based brainwashing. And the young people especially are going to grow up seeing everyone they know wearing masks. They're going to grow up seeing everything. They're going to have their parents talk about what things used to be like, which in a weird way will condition them to believe that there's no returning and that we shouldn't have they shouldn't have lived that way because it led to this current situation. They're going to piece it together in their own mind. And the narrative is going to sell itself at that point that where HG uh, Wells talks about how in the future, people are going to read in newspapers about what things were like, and they won't believe it back before this, this conspiracy takes full effect that people had such freedom and they had such, um, you know, irresponsible levels of freedom and that's what they want is it's it's about the conditioning the next generation i don't think they even care about tricking anyone over 30 uh i think they're willing to just say you don't like it you know we've seen populism tried to make a comeback with brexit with trump with all these things but what did that lead to you know it's just blatant in your face rejection of populism of what we want and they don't care that that we're not buying it anymore because the next generation is buying it. Yeah, I, I think that it's a numbers game and they're winning on that front. I've seen it with the youth uh, from Mexico to the U.S. To, to Kazakhstan where I've been working and it's like they're, they're winning on that front and, and there's nothing you can, it's very little that you can do to, 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 to push back. I'm not saying you shouldn't try and again, what you're saying that the green agenda, they're disguising everything. It's basically technocracy. I've inter interviewed Patrick Wood, who is yeah. the expert on technocracy and 
I think he classifies it correctly. My also recent interview with Michael Rechtenwald, who says it's a combination of monopoly capitalism and and Marxism, kind of, and like it's a trinity of capitalism, Marxism, and and, and technocracy. And you see, like the social credit score that they're trying to bring in through the medical passports is yeah. for us the individual. It's the control system for the individuals. The ESG is the social credit store, uh, score for the corporations. So if the corporations misbehave. They won't get funding and they'll just default, go bankrupt and and disappear. So they've got that control system. And and then like little things like I've been thinking about incandescent bulbs, right? The old fashioned bulbs. I was shocked because I was away like off in Siberia for a few years. And it's like I come back and and I I didn't have to buy bulbs over there. And I come back here to Mexico and I go to the store. There's no more incandescent bulbs. And they want like they have these LED bulbs now and they want the smart. They want you to get those smart bulbs that are connected to, to the Internet of Things, you know, the Internet. So then they can right. monitor you through the bulbs, through through the refrigerator, through through everything. And it's not 5G, about. Yeah. yeah. And it's not about green agenda. It's about the technocracy and the ability to to control you, to surveil you, to control you uh, and using that framework infrastructure to be able to award you uh, benefits and privileges or, or, or punish you if you're not behaving well through the social credit system um what what would be you know what does the future look like to you if they get their dystopian great reset and and how far do you think they are going to get that's that's what i find interesting about this is that the green agenda can actually operate better in a post-apocalyptic collapse scenario or in a technocracy super science smart city scenario uh, there's there's a possibility of, that I, that I actually kind of lean towards that the, the all of this uh, control system the control grid is actually kind of designed to not work in the end it's designed to collapse that there the idea that there would be a yeah, it's it's totally possible. We just go straight into the social credit system, driverless cars, electric grid, everything is controlled. But at the same time, it is possible that the grid collapses, that there is some sort of military coup uprising. And then we go back to the Stone Ages, you know, like all the, the Mad Max sort of level of uh, dystopia that way. And in that environment, in that scenario the green agenda still is the dominant one because it's about earth healing the earth rejecting the technology there's a show right now called sweet tooth on netflix that is talking about it's based on a comic book but it's there is there's a reason why they're producing it right now on netflix is that uh hybrid humanity hybrid animal humans uh appear at the same time as a pandemic and nobody knows what the correlation is between those two and society collapses, technology collapses. And we're in a post-apocalyptic state where nature is, is coming back. It's healing itself. And that's supposed to be a cathartic sense of finally the guys like Alex Jones and Joe Rogan and these guys who are calling for this system to end might actually themselves think that this is the solution and that that the they finally succeeded if all everything collapses you get to the just to the brink of that dystopia and then it falls apart and in that in the wake of that you can actually have 
this powerful narrative of uh, the the Mother Earth taking back what it what it deserves. And you have right now in Canada, there's a huge push for trying to turn rivers and areas of environment, give them rights as if they are people. You you, you give a, a river rights, and suddenly, you know, corporations can't use it. Uh, there's a there's a bizarre other side of this, which I'm actually almost more worried about than the technocracy, uh, the the te- technological side of it, which is this, the the fact that the green movement can win even when things collapse, if there was some sort of internal rebellion from the military or somebody who's like yeah we're we're not going to do this anymore, and they pull the plug on, on the internet controlled. Uh, Internet of Things, that's what you're talking about with the light bulbs and everything. Uh, so, yeah, I think people are familiar with the idea of the the super science control grid and the biometric data-driven centralized thing. Uh, I would say that's most likely. I think if it keeps going that way, what you're going to see is that um, Israel and cybersecurity is going to be the key and Israel has been positioning themselves as being the top leaders of cybersecurity and that whoever controls that, whoever controls the security is going to actually dominate and the ability to, we, we see how was, the pipeline got hacked, you know, uh, JB or no, I'm going to forget the name of it, but that meat producer, JBS, I think it was, they got hacked. And so the biggest meat producer and the some of the biggest oil companies are getting hacked. Well, obviously they need better cybersecurity. So I think those are the two scenarios in my mind that seem the most likely. One is that things get to the boiling point and there's a collapse. The other one is that it keeps going in this direction. And then whoever controls the cybersecurity of all of these institutions, because you could, whoever, the more it's digitized, the more it's centralized, the more you have this panopticon central system the world government uh if they can hack it that's going to be the the achilles heel of the whole thing so uh that's what i'm looking for i'm always looking for the cybersecurity side of it and who controls that who's getting hacked who's doing the hacking obviously there's a whole misdirection thing there uh with the cia and nsa you know hacking things themselves and then the fingerprints on the digital fingerprints always lead to Russia. Uh, so I think those are the two that I look for and I, and how that plays out most likely, I think Israel is going to lead the way on that and uh, become sort of the, the go-to investment capital. Everything's going to have to be routed through that somehow. I'm just curious then if we don't, if we go to this Mad Max scenario where the technology collapses and, you know, Earth is now healing itself, who, who, would it be like anarchy or would we have, do you think, more liberty or do you think, or would, there, it, still, would there still be some kind of authoritarian system ruling over us? What I think happens in that scenario is that um, you have a commune, not communism in the big centralized state sense, but um, when, when I study the Jesuits and I study the the history of, again, the kibbutz system, Israel had the kibbutz, Jesuits had the communes before that even, 
uh, it's even an older concept of ruling a population on a local level. It will feel healthy because you'll have agriculture, you'll own your own land collectively as a community. Um, there's some amazing discussion happening around how the the idea of sh- uh, what do they call it? Not shareholders, but um, stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholders, right? Stakeholders on the local level. So you have a localized tyranny where a gentle new age sort of spiritual healing gurus and experts can come in and gently guide the the recovery process after a collapse and that's a separate conspiracy of preparing for um it's the same reason why black lives matter actually talks about this too it's kind of surprising once you get into the material that they're like and Kanye West and stuff like that they're talking about he was run, he was going to run for president right and he was talking on Joe Rogan about creating a kibbutz system in America for black communities to be able to have a completely independent farming system and education system and teach them what they need to know in order to live sustainably off of the land and be one with nature and and he was specifically referenced the kibbutz which is a collectivist sort of primitive um it doesn't have to be primitive technologically but just in the sense of being a very simple old idea of everything everyone has everything in common uh, and you have your local leaders that you trust leading you and that's where i think guys like me and you might even feel like that's it is a sort of welcome change to this fast-paced dystopian uh, technological driven thing but i think that's also a red herring it's it's a cover for what'll be a managed chaos people who do have guns america has so many guns you know of course they would try to steal take over raid and that's where you get these uh movies and stories talking about like the road with uh, vigo mortensen and stuff is th- this idea of what happens in the collapse uh yeah, I think I think it would be a it would still be chaotic, but there there's preparations being made for creating this illusion that the dystopia is over, uh, the bad guys are gone. We don't even use money anymore. Money doesn't exist. We just barter now with vegetables and fruit, and we have this old and it becomes the dark ages. It becomes feudalism again, and they can start over from there. If you know the the cycle of you know the hegelian dialectic and the way that they can use that and and, the, and those like those little communes could easily uh go wrong you can have strong men you know it could turn into some kind of like jim jones uh, handmaid's tale or you know whatever i think also book of eli with uh denzel washington and gary oldman where he's he controls the town gary oldman and he wants to use the bible as uh, a tool to indoctrinate weaponize and, and control the population so we can all all those kind of things can happen uh so anyways mm-hmm. i think um we've gone a good while are, are there any final thoughts you want to leave us with then uh i mean i think we've we've been hammering the exact point that I wanted to talk about the whole time, which is the, the, the nature of this thing being very deceptive, very almost seductive. The, the idea of if we, if we were going to have a world government, uh, 
what is the biggest narrative that you could have to encapsulate all the different facets of it, unite them all, make it seem like it's working to a greater good, not a greater evil, and including genocide, including population reduction, sterilization, eugenics, all of that, the fact that that can somehow be rebranded as a healthy world-saving thing is is the main point that I'm trying to tell people about, uh, warn people about. So no, I, I think that's sums it up perfectly. We know the origins of it. We know how the same groups who are saying today that it's about saving the world from the environment are the ones who, you know, a hundred years ago, two hundred, almost two hundred years ago, was was talking about just doing it because you know that was the next phase of complete control and technocracy and and uh, so that's what i want to warn people about is not not falling for it getting young people to understand the origin of it especially that's what i'm trying to do and uh yeah this the the empire can change its mask overnight and then suddenly people for some reason uh, don't see the the change uh or the rather that nothing is changing that it's the same plan but with a different a different brand a different color now it's green all right uh to to be continued perhaps in a further um discussion where is the best place for people to find you online i guess now it's your tiktok uh yeah i think at this point the 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 tiktok is uh wolfpox at at, at wolfpox on tiktok so w-o-l-f-p-o-x um i also have a website that um, is metagearsolid.org slash wolfpox. That's where you uh, you can find links to my YouTube and my books and things like that. So uh, I have a Telegram. There's Telegram link on there as well. And so, yeah, uh, TikTok right now is what's blowing up. So I would suggest people go there, see the videos, see see what people are enjoying. All right. Uh, I know a handful of listeners have been complaining that I haven't been doing uh, talking to many geopolitical uh, experts. I guess one of the problem is a lot of these academic geopolitical experts that work in think tanks uh, basically are come from the establishment. And so when they see my podcast that goes beyond the Overton window, they don't want to come on. Right. So that's one problem getting some of these people on. And so I will be but I will still try to get more of these folks on. But I, I'm also turning toward wanting to talk to to everyone right people who are not just from certain areas of of expert let's say official expertise but that have a lot of interesting things uh, to say such as uh terry wolf and so i i, I want to talk to talk to everyone from all all walks and so um again thanks uh terry for being on geopolitics and empire thank you so much I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. 
The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.